Hello, dear friends, and welcome once again to the Great Library of Dreams. Now then, tonight's tale comes not from some dusty old tome written by some master of terror tales, but from the heart of English folklore. Now, when I was a child, when we used to drive out of town, if we took a particular road, we would pass by a lone tower on a distant hill. It looked lonely and foreboding, and I wondered what the story behind it was. It wasn't until many years later that I discovered that this wasn't the remains of a medieval castle, a lone tower holding out against the assaults of the famously capricious British weather. Rather, this was a ruin of a different nature, and indeed similar ruins are to be found up and down the British Isles. For these lonely stone towers are the remains of old windmills, their roofs and sails long gone, but their stone bodies remaining. Many settlements, of course, used to depend on a local windmill to grind their grains to make their bread. However, since the Industrial Revolution, many of these mills have closed and fallen into disrepair. And hence, all that remains are their stone-built towers. However, old ruins of any kind will attract stories. And many years later, I discovered there was a particularly dark and macabre story associated with that windmill tower I remember from my childhood. Now, the old mill I used to see as a child is no longer a ruin. It used to be found just outside the little town of Ferry Hill in the northeast of England. However, now a modern farmhouse has been built around it and the tower completely rebuilt as part of this new plush dwelling. However, for many long years, all that stood on that site was that weather worn tower of stone. And it was a place with a sinister reputation. These days the place is known as High Hill House, but for centuries before it was known simply as Brass Farm, and in 1682 it was the location of what one historian called the most horrid and barbarous murder that ever was heard in the North or elsewhere. Brass Farm stood on a hill to the west of Ferry Hill and was home to a prosperous local family. And in the 1680s, John and Margaret Brass lived there with their three children. The eldest, Jane, was aged 19, and was considered a local beauty, with one version of the tale from the 19th century, describing her as, rendered brighter by perfect health, and made temptingly beautiful by an archness of manners which tantalised the young farmers who spent evenings at Hill House. 
The second child was John, aged 17, and then there was Elizabeth, who was only 10 years old. The family was wealthy, a fact borne out by the expensive altar tombs found bearing the brass name in the local churchyard. And, as wealthy landowners, they employed many locals as workers on their farm. One of these locals in their employ was a young man named Andrew Mills, who, according to some accounts, was thought to be simple or slow-witted, with some recounters of the case claiming that he enjoyed playing with little Elizabeth. However, as we shall hear later, he was apparently worldly-wise enough to be courting a local young lady. Now, what we do know for certain about Andrew Mills is what he did on the 25th of January in 1682. Back in those days, Christmas lasted a good deal longer than it does now, and hence John and Margaret Brass had gone out to attend a late Yuletide party at a neighbouring farm. Later that evening, Andrew Mills appeared in Ferry Hill covered in blood and talking wildly. According to some versions, he made his way to the house which the Brasses were visiting, but other accounts claim he was seized by troops passing through Ferry Hill. Either way, the practical upshot is this young man, covered in blood, was apprehended and closely questioned. And he claimed that while he had been feeding the oxen, he had heard two mysterious men talking, saying, Kill, kill all, kill all. They had broken into the farmhouse, and the three children had been murdered. A party of folks marched up to the house and discovered two blood-splattered axes and the bodies of the children, which a contemporary account describes as most barbarously and inhumanely murdered, their throats being cut, their bodies greatly mangled, especially their heads and necks. Despite Andrew's account, suspicions were growing, and Margaret Brass accused Andrew Mills directly. Villain, none but thou hast murdered my children. A search of his pockets revealed a blood-stained knife. A coroner was sent for, a jury was sworn in, and an investigation began. Mills initially stuck to his original story, but the coroner persuaded him to make a fuller and franker confession. What really had occurred was this. Mills had chased the children into a bedroom, where Jane managed to bolt and lock the door just before Mills reached them. He proceeded to batter down the door with an axe, and then attacked Jane and John with it. It was assumed that he then cut their throats to silence their dying screams. The youngest child, Elizabeth, had fled and hidden under a bed and, according to most versions of the tale, had pleaded for her life, offering Mills bread and butter, sugar, and, most poignantly, her toys, if he would spare her life. Apparently these pleas did stir something in the murderous mind of Mills, for he would claim that he then left the room content to spare her. However, according to his confession, when he ventured into the dark corridor that led away from the grisly murder scene, he encountered, and I quote, 
a hideous creature, like a fierce wolf with red fiery eyes, its two legs like those of a stag, its body resembled an eagle, and was supplied with two enormous wings. Mills took this terrible beast to be the devil himself, and the unearthly being spoke again, quote, with a most unchristian croak, and instructed him. Go back, thou hateful wretch. Resume thy cursed knife. I long to view more blood. Spare not the young one's life. Mills did as he was bade. Some time after this third murder, he eventually made his way into Ferry Hill. After giving this full confession, he was formally arrested and taken to Durham Jail. At his trial, according to contemporary reports, the half-witted creature gave no motive for his crimes beyond suggesting he had done all at the suggestion of the devil. The court heard that apparently he had planned to slay the entire family some four days earlier, but for some unknown reason had not carried out his plan. No real motive for wanting to slay his employers and their family was ever ascertained. Later scholars of criminology have theorised that possibly Andrew Mills was suffering from some kind of delusion or mental illness, hypothesising that he had begun to hallucinate that people around him were monsters or demons. They say this might explain why he obliterated the children's faces so viciously with his axes. However, back then, a defence on mental incompetence was rare, and such a vicious crime would carry only one sentence. Mills was to be hanged. However, if this story is not gruesome enough, there's some further bloody twists to the tale. The sentence was carried out on Wednesday the 15th of August, and it was ordered that Mills's corpse should be gibbeted in Ferry Hill. It was said that his gibbet overlooked the scene of the murder, at a distance of a half a mile north of Ferry Hill. However, according to local stories, Mills was not entirely dead when they cut him down from the noose, and hence he still lived while he was chained up in a custom-made iron cage and hung on a huge wooden scaffold. It was also usual practice to coat the body with red-hot pitch in order to preserve the remains for a long time. But apparently his survival was both realised and planned for, for the cage included an iron spike on which a loaf of bread was placed, just within reach of his mouth. But of course, should the half-hanged man attempt to eat the bread, the iron spike would pierce his jaw. Apparently it took a long time for Mills to die. As we mentioned earlier, the young man had had a sweetheart, and historian William Longstaff reports that a peasant girl, beloved by Mills, brought him milk every day and fed him through the iron cage in which his tortured limbs were bound. However, her merciful actions were really only prolonging his agony in the gibbet. For many days the gibbeted man screamed and screamed again, maddened by pain, and contemporary accounts alleged that 
the people of Ferry Hill and the adjacent hamlets actually deserted their dwellings till life departed from the poor wretch. And what's more, when eventually Mills did die, it was reported that he expired with a shriek that was heard for miles around. The children were buried in the churchyard at Kirk Merrington with an inscription that read, Reader, remember sleeping. We were slain, and here we sleep till we must rise again. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Thou shalt do no murder. However, our tale is not yet done, for this sad little verse we heard is prefaced with the following lines. Here lie the bodies of John, Jane and Elizabeth, children of John and Margaret Brass, who were murdered on the 25th of January, 1683, by Andrew Mills, their father's servant, for which he was executed and hung in chains. But if one looks to the tombstone, you will see that someone has scratched out the word executed, a reference perhaps to the cruel and unusual manner of Mills's death. According to local legend, this crude amendment was done by Andrew Mills's father. However, the altar tomb visible today is a restoration, as the original top that bore the inscription had broken into pieces many years ago. Hence, if Mills's father had done the scratching, he would have had to have been almost 130 years old. Surviving pieces of the original slab can still be seen inside the church at Kirk Merrington. Local historians instead point the finger of blame to one Willie Flynn, the owner of the Bay Horse Pub in Merrington. This 18th century landlord would often argue with customers over the true fate of Andrew Mills, and hence crept into the churchyard to remove the word executed, to match his own belief that Mills had been gibbeted alive. As for the gibbet itself, its post remained for many centuries after the remains of Andrew Mills were long gone. Known locally as Mills's Stob, splinters from the old wooden post were believed to be a cure for toothache and rheumatism. When it was finally pulled down, what wood remained was cut up and sold as charms. From the historical records we have, we know the murder did take place that one Andrew Mills was indeed tried and hung for this brutal crime. And yes, he did claim in court to have been impelled to commit these horrendous deeds by the devil. However, the records also claim that he was actually hung until dead in Durham, and that tales of him being still alive in the gibbet are most likely gruesome embroidering on the bloody tale as it was recounted down the centuries. However, the memory of these bloody deeds do indeed still haunt the area. Just recently, in 2015, a small local outfit, Capture Films, made a short feature based on the case. Called The Devil Within, this 22-minute short dramatises the tale of Andrew Mills, although it does add some of its own further embroideries to the story. And the tale lives on in modern folklore too. It has been claimed that the shades of the three murdered children 
have been seen playing around the grounds of what was Brass Farm. Furthermore, in the days when the tower was deserted, local legend claimed if you ran round the ruined windmill tower 13 times, the ghost of Andrew Mills, brandishing a blood-stained axe, would come running out of the dark shadows of the tower. Of course, these days, the ruined tower is no more, and what does remain is part of a nice modern farmhouse, and hence it's no longer possible to run round it and see if there's any truth to the old tale. And maybe that is just as well. However, it is said that even today, particularly around January, you can still sometimes hear the Mad Axeman's screams echoing on the night wind around the lonely hills.
This podcast was produced by Mr. Jim Moon with music from the Eldritch Light Orchestra. If you enjoyed this show, please consider leaving us a review or a rating so other people can find it. If you really like the show, consider buying us a coffee at coffee.com slash hypnagoria or becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash hypnagoria where subscribers can get exclusive new shows every month and access the Patreons-only podcasting vault. For more nonsense, call into our site hypnagoria.com where you can find all manner of essays and articles on the weird and the wonderful plus my other podcasts plus links to YouTube and all the usual social media gubbins This has been a great library of dreams production 